Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may be able to prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 12:2. This is Resistance and Reformation on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Of all his adventures and accomplishments, Theodore Roosevelt's involvement in the presidential race of 1912 was perhaps his most significant and certainly his most controversial. That year, the electorate was confounded by a whole host of damning dilemmas. The lackluster administration of T.R.'s hand-picked successor, William Howard Taft, had created a real conundrum for voters. The fiery Democratic nominee was Woodrow Wilson, though he had served briefly and without notable distinction as governor of New Jersey, he was essentially a political unknown. And yet, because the campaign hinged on the whole issue of change, anything seemed possible. According to Wilson, change was essential. Our life has broken away from the past, he said. Old political formulas do not fit the present problems. He believed this is nothing short of a new social age, a a new era of human relationships, a new stage setting for the drama of life. He was convinced that the new age demanded new circumstances and the fitting of a new social organization. He wanted to bring the government back to the people through an aggressive implementation of activist legislation, adjudication, and administration. He advocated radical change. Politics in America is a case in which, uh, sadly, uh, we require much attention. The system set up by our law and by our usage doesn't work, or at least it cannot be depended upon. He boasted that Americans had an obligation to reinvent the world by interpreting the Constitution according to the Darwinian principle and by becoming architects in our time. He foresaw the advent of a glorious new world order and a marvelous new freedom. Taft seemed either unwilling or unable to deflect Wilson's energetic barrage of ideological rhetoric. So, Theodore Roosevelt reluctantly came out of retirement and took to the stump. He decried the radicalism of Wilson, saying that the nation should be ruled by the Ten Commandments, not by Darwinian presumption. He claimed that the great heart of the nation beats for truth, honor, and liberty, and thus he felt compelled to decry the immorality and absurdity of Wilson's doctrines of socialism. He asserted that he was an old-school conservative who believed in the progressive notions that made for a strong people and a tame government. Taft was chagrined. 
He fought back with derisive, negative campaign methods. He accused his old friend Roosevelt of reckless ambition. He chided his old boss of unsettling the fundamentals of our government and called him a serious menace and an extremist. Though Roosevelt handily won the hearts of the grassroots and secured nine out of every ten electable delegates sent to the National Convention from the primaries, he was eventually denied the Republican nomination through a series of last-minute backroom maneuvers by key members of the party establishment who were afraid that they would not be able to control the always independent-minded Roosevelt. Scandalized and demoralized, the Republicans divided. The so-called moderates or centrists stood by Taft, while the grassroots conservatives remained loyal to Roosevelt. The fractious campaign would be a three-way race with the popular Roosevelt leading a fledgling bull moose third-party effort. The politics as usual, finagling, mudslinging, and conniving, outraged the popular press and exacerbated the electorate. Disaffection with the entire process ran rampant. Frustrated with the dirty tricks, Roosevelt charged the old parties are husks, uh, with no real soul in either. Divided on artificial lines, boss-ridden and privilege-controlled, each a jumble of incongruous elements and neither, daring to speak out wisely and fearlessly what should be said on the vital issues of our day. As the campaign progressed, it appeared that his last-minute third-party challenge might actually defy all odds and succeed, though he had virtually no money, no organization, and no political apparatus behind him, his sheer popularity and force of will threatened to carry the day. But then, with less than three weeks to go, Roosevelt was the victim of an assassination attempt. Though his wound was not mortal, he was unable to return to the rigors of the campaign. Uncertainty suddenly gripped the electorate. Torn between the two old familiar parties and the one national leader, the only one that they could trust, voters were frozen in indecision. They stayed away from the polls in droves. On election day, ambivalence reigned. None of the candidates received a majority, though Wilson attained a weak plurality over Roosevelt and thus prevailed in the Electoral College. Nearly 60% of the popular vote had gone against him. But he entered the White House the next year. But without any semblance of a mandate, facing a formidable array of opposition forces. Roosevelt, on the other hand, though somewhat discouraged by the outcome, took solace in the fact that he had overcome all the odds with little more than public affection on his side. He was outspent by each of his opponents by more than 10 to 1 and had very nearly toppled the supremacy 
of both of the established parties. He was still only 54 years old. There was still plenty of both resistance and reformation in him. I'm George Grant on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. For more information and for resources, go to georgegrant.net or to adoringgod.com.